Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 244 of Dogcast Radio, which is a really good one, though I say it myself. We've got two great behaviourists, Grisha Stewart and Jennifer Billet. Now, of course, the only problem with having such brilliant guests is that it makes me look, well, not as clever. But hey, I do it just for you. Coming up, I'll be talking to Jennifer Billet about how we can set our puppies up for lifelong success in the real world. That's what you do to a puppy is you put them in a room of all of these different things, some of which I know what they're allowed to touch, but to them, they want to bite and explore everything. And if I'm constantly like, no, not the couch, no, not the sideboard, no, not the rug, you know, of course, then they're going to probably be quite shut down or frustrated. You know, then the biting increases because they're frustrated. But first, I had the privilege of interviewing Grisha Stewart. Grisha is an award-winning dog trainer and author of the book, Behaviour Adjustment Training, Bat for Aggression, Frustration and Fear in Dogs. Her mission is canine and human wellness, especially giving dogs a voice in their care. This is a wide-ranging interview that also touches on dealing with dog loss. I found Grisha absolutely amazing, and I hope you do too. Hi, Grisha. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. How are you? I'm really good. It's a lovely sunny day, and we also had a whole bunch of rain in Oregon recently, and so all the trees and plants are feeling really happy and less likely to be caught on fire. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. That, that's good. That's good. See, we, we have the opposite problem. We, we've had plenty of rain, and then yesterday we, had, we actually had a really glorious day. We haven't had a wonderful summer, but yesterday was just beautiful, and it was one of those autumnal days that felt more like summer, and it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, we've, we've had good – the weather's been kind to both of us recently. Good. Excellent. That sounds good. Yes, and I love the UK, Julie, and, and I love Oregon kind of more in, that sen- in the weather sense because it's, it's got the sort of the lushness of the UK. Okay, but um, the rain is at least constrained to the winter. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pick a day like, here like and it's, it'll rain. <laughs> but, I, but I nearly moved to, to London before I moved to Alaska, which was the last place I lived. Hmm. So uh, I, do, I do love the UK. Well, there you go. I I, I think I'd, I'd stick with Oregon <laughs> myself, but there you go. That's <laughs> personally, I, I will now. Yeah, yes. this is my forever home. Yeah, excellent, excellent. You know, it's it's funny because I I'm not I, I'm not that enamoured of London, and I live in in Shropshire where it's there's more sh- more sheep than people. So that's um, mm. I'm I'm quite content like that. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh. I, I do like humans. I, it, it's just in the last, I would say, actually, my, my fiance was really surprised to hear me say this, but it just like in the last 10 years, I really started liking humans. Like, mm. I love dogs and have and have always and, and have been passionate about dogs. And in the last 10 years, I'm, I'm passionate about humans and how do we work? Yeah. Um, you know, there's certainly lots of humans I have liked along the way, but I, now it's just like all of humanity is uh, something that I'm curious about. So. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because there's that saying, the average dog is nicer than the average person. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the time you think, well, actually, that's quite, that's quite true. And I think m- maybe it's that dogs wear their emotional their their heart on their sleeve kind of thing and Mm -hmm. you don't have to say to a dog are you pleased to see me are you angry with me you know did I do something wrong you don't have to walk on eggshells with a dog right you can navigate it really clearly right right there yeah Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly and and I think it helps to to you know the nonverbal aspects because you know we have this uh what what I call the bad stuff maker upper the bismu in our brains Mm. uh and I 
and I think, you know, dogs, they have a very limited bismu, right? It's, you know, like <laughs> something killed them. Um, but, you know, they, they, they don't have this sort of level of nuance. Um, and yet, uh, I also think that dogs, um, you know, they, they, you know, they have their, their conflicts and they have their, their grudges that they hold. So um, I think to some extent, people assume dogs are, are uh, like them more than they do. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, possibly. possibly. Yeah, it's interesting as well. The more you start looking into it, because you, I think maybe we, we project our feelings onto our dogs and what we expect of them. So for example, with my Labrador, yes. he was fairly easygoing, you know, he was, he was very easygoing. And I assumed he was happy a lot of the time. And, and the way he was with people, he was so enthusiastic. And I assumed, you know, well, he's happy, he just loves people. And then somebody I was interviewing recently was talking about, is that a, a sign of happiness? Or is that a sign of, I've got to, you know, um, ingratiate myself with you and then I'm just mm. going to run away. What he didn't do that, he did ingratiate himself, but then he stayed and and, and played, you know, and wanted attention. So I think it was. But you, you sometimes you're mm. interviewing people, talk, talking to people and they say something and you suddenly think, oh my goodness. And then you have to reevaluate quickly and think, no, nope, no, nope, it's okay. <laughs> you know, and that's why I love that I have so many things on video uh, with my dogs. So you know, there, I, I do come into, you know, a new idea. And then I look back at the video and I think, is it true? Is it not true? And uh, yeah, they're definitely, you know, Labradors tend to be pretty social and, yes. and enjoy, you know, being around people. So you're probably on the safe side there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think that whoever said that is also correct to, to a large extent. Is it sort of like a they don't, there's a lot of dogs who, um, they, they act all, um, interested and they, you know, they run up to people and jump on them and whatever, but it is sort of a, I'm not really sure what to do here. Um, yes. it's not, you know, they're, they're most content. It's they're most, you know, they're, they're aroused and excited, but they, they're, they're anticipating maybe it could be a friend, but they're like still not quite sure. Um, and so the, I think the dogs who are the most sure, um, you can really see that in them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny because we had, um, Buddy was very into people. We had, um, Star at the same time, who was a Bichon Freeze. So obviously a much smaller dog physically. Uh-huh. Right. But she was much more, in some ways, she was much more her own person. And it was all on her terms, thank you. And if she loved you, she loved you. And if she, if you weren't one of her circle yet, you know, if you hadn't earned uh-huh. that yet, she could take it or leave it. She'd say hello to you, but we'll see. You know, I don't know you in it yet. And we'll see. And she was, you know, she was kind of, she would take herself off on her own. And she was just a completely different mindset from, from mm-hmm. him. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I think every dog is, well, I know every dog is an individual. Yes. And I, yeah, I love getting to know them and, 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 you know, learning, you know, what parts it, what, what needs consent here? What doesn't need consent here? Yeah. Uh, you know, and so it's, you know, there are dogs like labs who are less touch sensitive, for example, as mm. a, as a rule, um, you know, of course, every dog is different. Um, and so, and they feel, you know, they're, they just feel like they're safer in the world than like a Bichon Frise, which is like, yes, <laughs> you know, they're, yeah. they're a little more um, likely to be stepped on or hit with a tail or, yeah. or whatever else. So it's the world really is safer. Yeah. Bless her. Some bless dogs. Her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, size does obviously have a, a, a an effect there. But yes, it, it was just interesting to, to, they taught me so much, the two of them. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so some of the perceived, you know, the, the canine wisdom, if you like, the wisdom that was, was around at the time. And I'd look at them and I think, I'm not sure that's true. You know, the, the, for example, the, the hierarchy. And right, right, I'd, right. Yeah. And I'd look at them and I'd think, well, hang on. If it's affection, 
Buddy can push her out of the way, can push Star out of the way, and she'll just go, oh, whatever. But if it's food, although she's not terribly a food, a dog food dog, you know, she would look in the bowl every time and go, no sausage again, really? But, <laughs> but at the same time, she'd be like, that is my food. You cannot, you know, with Buddy, not with us. You cannot touch it yet. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and he would just go, okay, I love the food, but I will wait until you say. And they just carved out this relationship and you could see they had different priorities. And there were right. times, yeah, it was amazing. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, they taught me so much, so much. So mm-hmm. we've got a, so much to, to fit in today. Tell me, first of all, because it really intrigues me. Why did you start to work with dogs initially? Were you always a, a doggy person? So I grew up with with dogs. We had at one point uh, three females who were intact. And so we had 20 some puppies running around at one point when I was a kid. Uh, And mind you, this was not on purpose. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And so, so, uh, you know, there was the rehoming uh, of of them and not for money. And uh, but so I just I just grew up, you know, running around the woods with dogs as as companions. Yeah, um, I would have loved it that. It was pretty much heaven. And then my one of my first babysitting jobs actually um, was for um, Sharon Nelson, who started the NADAC uh, Agility Organization. Hmm. And I didn't know that at the time. I just knew that I watched the daughter and the kid and the and the dogs. Hmm. And so we we ran you know the other dogs through agility courses, and then I went home and tried to train my elderly golden retriever to do it. Bless him. But uh, so we, that was my entree into the idea that you could train dogs. Uh, and because my mother didn't want to train dogs because she thought of it as, you know, the kind of the outdated version and she didn't hmm. want to, you know, jerk dogs around by collars and things. And, and so this was an exploration to the idea that you could train a different way. Um, and then fast forward into, uh, you know, all through college, of, I didn't have a dog. And then in grad school, I got one and uh, then I started volunteering at a, uh, I took a class and then started volunteering at a shelter and just fell in love with the the idea of behavior modification and learning about dogs. And yeah, mm. so that was the beginning. Yeah. And I was teaching mathematics at the time mm. and uh, after or in grad school for mathematics and then later teaching. And then there was a switch over uh, from math to dogs where I just, you know, like, the students love learning and and both the canine and the human ones and it felt just really like I was contributing to society in a far bigger way yeah and uh so that was great oh excellent yeah I I, I prefer the dogs to the maths I must admit I, I'm not great at maths <laughs> dogs <laughs> love them <laughs> yeah I think the problem solving and critical thinking have served me uh mm. but but definitely I I like the the living puzzle it's a it's a much more nuanced and furry and fun way to be so yeah yeah yeah. it's interesting because I can remember one time when I was training buddy to and it was to try and do heel work to music and the the giving him treats wasn't working and so the trainer said try a tennis ball so I picked a tennis ball up and he whirled round and I just thought this is a problem that's not the response I wanted you know and I was upset and she said Oh, that was interesting. Try it again. And like you say, trainers, you know, sometimes see it as a, as a, as a puzzle. And it's much, it's a much happier mindset if you think, well, this is a puzzle. How do I get this to work rather than this is a problem, you know? Right. And then uh, that goes for all of life, really. Right. Yeah, so yeah. there's, there's brain research that shows that if we reframe something as a challenge, 
then uh, it just, it recruits different parts of our brain and we, it, it's way less stressful. So just that's something to try the next time you have a, what you would call a problem is to say, well, all right, this is the challenge. Am I up for this challenge? Uh, and yeah, it's your brain does something totally different with challenges versus problems. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So saying about the, the way we do things and, and, and how we feel about things, Tell me about um, about BAT. Yes, uh, so BAT is behavior adjustment training. Mm-hmm. I assume I'll just I'll just kind of give the the elevator speech version of it. Okay, <laughs> um, it's a technique to help dogs gain confidence and social skills. Mm. And the idea is that dogs are are capable of of uh, having the right social skills that would you know navigate the situation, but that right now. They are too close uh, very often. And so when we have them at a distance that they can process appropriately, then uh, their brains can heal. So when they're feeling safe, um, then they can start to offer pro-social behavior. Um, and so basically that is a way of handling the leash and being at a distance and then gradually allowing the dog to lead us forward, uh, not in a straight line, but in curves and, and then navigating that that contact with other dogs or, or people or scary things on the street. And then over time, learning to be able to do that more and more quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they're, they're, having said, you know, Buddy and Sal taught me so much. One of the things that I learned with Buddy was if I could get him to to choose to do something. It was far easier for both of us. And I can remember a silly example, but we went to a castle, an English heritage castle that allowed dogs. And I, we went up a spiral staircase and that was, that was not a problem. I didn't, I didn't think it through. We went up the step of the spiral staircase, came to come down and he was like, uh, uh-uh, no way. No, yeah. Yeah. I am not walking down that. That is scary. It's dark. I'm not. So I, tr- I tried, I didn't sort of not pull him, but I tried to sort of encourage him. No. And in the end, I took the lead off and I kind of went, look, I'm not going to pull you down here. And I had to put treats on every step and sort of <laughs> tempt him down like that. And then when he finally decided, yeah, I'll go, it was like whoosh and we were down. But I knew suddenly I couldn't pick him up because I, I couldn't have done it and it was too, you know, small an area to do it in. But to try and get him to to make that decision and kind of, as you say, take those steps himself and and be feel safe it was that mm-hmm. was a real lesson to me that even just to take the lead off and go well i know you'll come back to me but you make the decision mate i'm not going to pull you mm-hmm. exactly and and with the leash off you can you can do what i call stretching the rubber band so there's sort of a, a an emotional rubber band between our dogs and us so mm. you can go a little further away to say no really we're going this way does that work yeah um, and and then also what I love doing with with treats though is to put one on the stair and then toss one away, mm. so then they can remake that decision to come down to the next step that has a treat or maybe that same step, um, and so that bouncing back and forth makes a, a difference. Um, and so yeah, knowing that we uh, we have an escape, yes, uh, yes. is good for mammals. Uh, and so that's something that yeah our dogs really benefit from is that they can choose to approach and they can choose not to. Uh, and that they're not punished either way yeah. Um, yeah. is really important. And uh, yeah, and to and and to know what they're choosing, right? So if your dog were to go forward and then you grabbed him, right? Yes, that's like whoa, that's a bait and switch. That wasn't what I was <laughs> <Yes>. choosing. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's so many things he taught me. It's t- I mean, when you talk about canine empowerment, 
And I realized that sort of one of the things I did early on with our dogs, and I, I didn't, I wouldn't have ever told anybody at the time was they would clearly want something. They were barking or they would be looking at me and they were a bit agitated. And I'd, so I'd go to the back door and say, well, do you want a toilet? And sometimes it wasn't, sometimes it was a treat, sometimes it was water, food, whatever. But I would try and work out what it was. And so kind of give them a choice. And as I say at the time, I wouldn't have told anybody that because I would have felt embarrassed. But we're now much more, aren't we, into sort of trying to give our dogs choices in, in lots and lots of different ways, but to, to, to empower them, yeah. aren't we? That's a much more right. accepted thing. Right. Well, and it's totally our choice to decide what behavior is appropriate in our house. Like if if that barking, right, was so ear shattering that you were like, I can't handle this. I don't want to reinforce this even a little bit then that would be your choice. Or if you can say, you know, this is what I want for now. And I can, I can teach him actually alternate ways to, to get my attention. But that piece of, of his needs matter is something that we didn't used to have. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was definitely, you know, and I think a lot of that comes from the idea that a lot of training came from uh, military training, right? Where, you know, the individual doesn't matter. You're just supposed to do what what, yeah. what they say, yeah. at least back in the day, you know, that was sort of World War II. A lot of people came out of the military with their do- their dogs and their training experience, and that's how they trained. And hence the, the very strict hierarchy as well. Um, yeah. 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 Well, I remember when, when we got Buddy in 2003, and it was very much sort of the accepted wisdom seemed to be you're bringing a wild animal into the house and you need to squash them and teach them that you're the boss of them and and it was sort of again it was a few months before I looked at this dog and thought you know what you're not here to actually take over and usurp me are you you just want to be loved and play and and again you kind of think hang on this isn't right Right. They don't even have thumbs. Yes. It's not like we have a raccoon or something, right? (laughs) Yeah. So um, they could take over your house, I'm sure. They catch them on the keyboard or something. So um, my uh, circling back to your idea um, of of meeting the dog's needs and, you know, if they're barking, let them do, you know, if that that works for you. Um, So my fiance is definitely a, a different mindset than, you know, most dog trainers would have been, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And he's actually teaching me a lot in terms of like, what do I have as my sacred cows? Right. Hmm. And so, for example, you know, jumping up, uh, he loves, he loves it when the dogs communicate with them, with him. And so he's like, I love it when they jump up. It means that they're really connecting to me. And Mm -hmm. so at mealtime, he gets her to jump up and then he will feed her. Like, that's what he wants. Yeah. Uh, and and so it's like, and, and he's not like, you know, encouraging it per se. Like he's not like, you know, smacking on his legs or whatever, which he could do. Um, but he's just like, he's celebrating with her that like, we have food. Yay. Yes. And, and, it, and he loves it. So yeah, it's like whatever works for you and, yeah. and, and being, and being consistent. That's the key yes. is that the you know, they're social animals, which means that they can learn what are the, the social rules here. And if we're consistent about them, that's what's fair. Um, if we're not consistent, then, you know, we're just setting them up to have have a have anxiety. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Or ourselves. Have a- <laughs> yes, <laughs> everybody, yeah. So I know another sort of area of interest for you is dog reactivity. And that, again, is having had a, a reactive dog. It's it's horrible for them. It's stressful for me. And then my stress feeds them. And then that 
makes so many dogs and people unhappy, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think that, uh, there, there's some benefits of, of COVID, for example, that people are really learning about how space works. Um, that we're learning that, you know, when we walk along the sidewalk at each other, that we might want to buffer. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you see people navigating that distance, um, in advance and, and, you know, I'm going to go this way. You're going to go this way. And that's what our dogs have been doing this whole time. And we've been ignoring that and just making them walk the way that we want them to go. And and that's a big cause of this reactivity. And of course, we can teach them that that's safe. um, But if we're not paying attention to their needs, then it isn't safe. And so uh, by by paying better attention and, um, you know, navigating it together, we can we can eliminate reactivity. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's a great message to send out because I know as they having had had to deal with it, you, you think, well, this is I just have to stay in the house with my dog and not meet people, not meet dogs, you know, and just stay where it's right. safe. And, and it's a horrible it's so so isolating. It's horrible. It, it's very isolating. And yeah, and the good thing is that it you know, it's fixable. It's a, yeah. it's a it's a it's an issue that we can work through. Resilience is a is a skill, uh, a skill set, um, both for people and dogs. And uh, one of the the key pieces of of feeling like they can handle the world is that their 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 emotional cup is more full, that they have more controllability, they have more uh, ways to keep themselves feeling safe, and they have ways to connect with their human. Uh, a part of it is that we stay calm as well. So if we're nervous about how they will react, then that telegraphs down the line. We co-regulate. And so it's important to, to be, you know, working on both ends of the leash. Uh, one of the things in the, I just had a, a leash walking class that I taught online and one of a big section of it was on something I call glimmers, which isn't my word, but, um, but it's from human psychology, uh, relatively new opposite of trigger, right. Uh, hmm. which is, uh, teaching it's a safety cue. Uh, and so essentially the human can work on, uh, for a couple of weeks, teaching themselves to re- their their autonomic nervous system to respond with relaxation to a cue, and then we teach it to the dog. Um, and so it's it's a it's a really nice way to take advantage of the fact that they are social animals, and so are we. Um, because I've certainly had to go the other way, where my dog gets nervous, and then I start to get nervous. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And with Peanut, um, so this is before um, I did bat with him. And then he was fine with kids. But before that, um, I found one time I was actually walking without my dog and I got the same, you know, nervous response yeah, when I saw yeah. a child. I'm like, wait a minute, my dog isn't even here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is though, it's horrible because when you see whatever your dog's trigger is, you you do tend something, oh my goodness, he's going to go. And then, you, well, hang on. Yeah, that's, and then I've, I've seen my dog in a situation, well, the dog we had then, in a situation where he would have, you know, gone off with me and he was been with the trainer and he hasn't reacted and you go that's because he's you know she's more relaxed than me and it, it is it's a horrible circular you know vicious circle isn't it mm-hmm. right right and and that's one of the factors of course other factors would be uh, that they're that's a, just a in completely different context so they've learned this is safe versus you know this other one is not safe or maybe it is safe um and so and of course trainers professional trainers have great timing uh, and you know responding to dogs and so at the time you you didn't have that but you know but definitely the the piece that confidence is is super key and and i think the way that we have trained dogs 
so over time, of course, has changed. Uh, and, you know, traditionally, or I wouldn't even say traditionally, because I, I would say probably before dog training became a field, we were nicer to dogs. Uh, but anyway, um, in, in sort of the mid-century version of dog training, there was punishment and then a real focus on reinforcement. And I think both of those schools of thought uh, are really about controlling the dog. And, mm-hmm. and so empowerment has been the shift that it's one of the drums I've been beating for the last probably 10, 15 years. And I'm not the only one, but, uh, but to, to really recognize that there's a being here who has needs yeah. Yeah. and yeah. that behavior isn't, you know, isn't random. It exists to meet a need that's why it evolved. And so figuring out, are there ways that we can, um, you know, we can get those needs met in a way that meets not just the dogs, but also ours, you know, both, both of them. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. You know, helping dogs and people live in, in greater harmony. There's there's nothing better mm-hmm. than that, is there? Exactly. And yeah. so, for example, the, the, um, the bat technique has changed over time itself and it was very structured uh, in terms of, you know, we approach and we retreat. It was more based on reinforcement. The first bat 1.0, and then 2.0 is a bit different. I'm actually, I just prepared a, a, a webinar. Um, I've taught a webinar in my, in my school, but I'm also preparing the a presentation for that in the Aggression and Dogs Conference and uh, really noting how we can be, um, yeah, just like if, if BAT 1.0 was natural, this is the the sort of organic version. And then it's changed even even more just in this last year where I added the the leash belay technique. Yeah. yeah. Um, T- tell me about leash belay then. Uh, so the leash belay, it comes from, so I'm a, a, a rock climber as well. And so the, and when you're rock climbing, there's a, the person on, uh, who's climbing on the wall and then there's a rope that goes up and then back down to the person who's the belayer. So the belayer is the one who kind of keeps the leash from tang or the, 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 line, the rope from tangling. Hmm. Um, and, and if the person climbing were to fall, you essentially catch them um, by keeping it tight, right? Because the, the, there's a place up above that it's anchored to. Mm-hmm. So I, I realized that one of the, the issues with uh, walking dogs is that, it, people, you know, have a hard time sometimes holding on to the dog physically. It's a large enough dog, or if you have a small dog, if you have a very small leash, you can still get a rope burn. And the bat techniques really handle most of that. Um, but I've worked a lot in sh- in shelters with shelter dogs, and you know, they they can pull like freight trains. Mm-hmm. And and so you know, it's nice to have yet another tool. Uh, and sometimes then people would go to head collars or prong collars, neither of which I I like. And so I was looking for gear that would be that would give the human more leverage uh, in such a way that it can be done really gently. And and so you know when we're rock climbing, if we fall, it has to be done gently. Otherwise, right, we would break ourselves. And yeah. so uh, so the idea then is to use this same physics on uh, uh, when walking dogs. So you basically there's a couple of ways to do it. The simplest way is just to add another point of contact on your leash. So you can take, um, do you know what a tab is? No, no. So it's like a very small leash. It's just a handle with a oh, right. clip yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so American English versus British English, I, I figured I'd ask. So so you can just uh, snap that over the leash. So you've got the, the normal handle of a long line. And then you've got now this second handle that slides along the line. 
And, and so by holding on to those two places, you can actually get more, um, uh, more leverage and you can also allow the leash to slide through in such a way that you couldn't if it was your bare hand because the, the metal takes the heat. Mm-hmm. So, and that works really well for dogs that are sort of medium to small size. And then the, there's another variation of that where you, where you have it attached to a, a hip belt and like a, ski joring belt or you know one of those kind of cross belts yeah and then use a carabiner and um so you 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 can sort of make this yourself from various climbing equipment or stuff at the hardware store and um anyway and it uh it makes it so that then you can slowly stop a dog so you're not having the problem that normally happens from tying a dog to your waist which is that you get jerked all of a sudden so this is a way of just sort of slowly putting on the brakes if you want to. Um, anyway, it's a little bit hard to describe uh, via audio. Um, so I do have a <laughs> webinar about it uh, called Effortless Dog Walking. Um, and there's an article about it. Uh, um, I think Bark Magazine did, did one as well. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. So it's, it's making it obviously a more relaxed and pleasant business for the dog and for the for the human, isn't it? Right, exactly. So because it's important that if we don't want a dog to pull, that that pulling isn't that effective for the dog, right? Yeah. yeah. So if we can't physically stop a dog, it's stressful for the person. And it's also reinforcing for the dog to keep pulling harder. And so this gives the human enough leverage that the dog physically cannot pull um, because, you know, we're using uh, we're using physics against them, as it were, or with them, (laughs) maybe. So, and then, and that consistency is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Because again, you know, walk time should be, quality time should be enjoyable for, for both, well, for everybody involved. But when it isn't, when you do have a dog that pulls, oh, it's miserable. You, oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go on this walk today. Let's just mm-hmm. do something else. And it, you know, to take that away is, is wonderful. Right. Exactly. And, and for me, walks have the, there's a couple of, differences from how normal or not normal, but like sort of (laughs) standard, you know, dog training says dogs have to be walked old school dog training, um, which is, I love it when dogs sniff. I love it when they're ahead of me. Um, There are times that I need them to be directly beside me because we're trying to pass an obstacle or whatever else. And so I, of course I train heel, um, which is useful. And most of the time I'm walking a dog on a, on a five meter or a 15 foot leash, we're there sniffing around. Um, I'm letting the line in and out rather than using one of those kind of flexi leashes because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I, I don't like the retractable. Most dog trainers don't, um, but the retractable leash where there's constantly pressure on the dog uh, and you. And uh, anyway, and so the the dog, the walk is very casual. It's exploratory. And one of the key f- features or key ingredients to making a walk pleasant like that is that you take into account that you also have to walk home again. So you don't just walk as far away as you possibly can. And then you're late, to, you know, getting back from lunch. So you have to sort of force the dog to walk a certain way. Um, but you kind of, you take the whole walk into account and say, okay, well, we're just going to circle the block as many times as we need to um, in order to have this casual walk. If you have a time constraint, for example, if you don't have a time constraint, of course, go wherever you want. Um, yeah. But but really um, being proactive about setting it up so that it is possible to do that yeah yeah so much it seems to me so much of dog training and life with dogs is 
a little bit of thought, you know, before things happen helps so much. So, and life isn't like that, you know, it's difficult in real life when you've got children running around or... or, Right, we can't think of all the factors, right? Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, little things. So it's not constantly no, no, no at the dog. Just Mm -hmm. a a simple thing, like when when you have a puppy, if they're jumping on you, if you eat on the sofa eat up to a table and they can't jump on them. And it's just and managing the environment and, and the equipment you use with them so that life is, is more pleasant and easier. And it's not constantly, no, 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 because those situations don't happen. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, for example, I have a uh, a road by my house that mm. has, it's not too, too far, but, or not too, too close, but there's a bridge that goes to a larger road. And, um, and so basically I don't have to tell my dog constantly don't go there because when we first moved here for the first um, six months or so, I kept them very, you know, on leash all the time and uh, only the, so there's forest in the other direction. And so I basically built a habit of when you go out the door, you go this way. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, and so rather than saying, don't go this way, I said, do go this way. And yeah. so it became this very clear habit for them. Um, and so now it's like that other part just doesn't exist. I never walk that way with them. Uh, it just, it is not on their radar at all. So, yeah. Yeah. Again, as you say, just, just think about it beforehand and, and it, it, it is easier to do and it, it's, mm-hmm. it's easy and difficult. You know what I mean? Um, right. But, and then of course I need to say that, you know, dogs are also subject to, to learning new things. Uh, and yes. so I'm always going to be aware of, is that changing, right? Are they starting to go in that direction? And if so, then we need a different plan, right? I need a physical fence or I, um, or they need to be more unleashed in that area or whatever else. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so mentioning your dogs, tell me about your dogs then. So it's funny. I keep saying dogs, but yes, I, yeah. I have, but the one, um, so I have Zuki. She is, uh, a lot of things. Um, she's, uh, I would say she looks most like, um, well, she's just like a Cocker Spaniel, Toy Poodle, hmm. Min Pin and Chihuahua according oh, wow. to the DNA test. <laughs> and then one quarter they, they didn't know. And so I'm thinking unicorn for that <laughs> other piece. Um, she's very sweet. She's very, she came to me very, very afraid of lots of things. Hmm. Um, but she's, she's, uh, us getting, she's, yeah, there's, there are times that I forget that she needs, you know, some assistance. Um, but she's great. I love her to pieces and she's the most empathetic dog I've ever had. Um, she's also, because of, I think of her trauma history, she's also, um, not always very, uh, quick at learning. So, Mm -hmm. so she, it's like, it took her, I would say at least six months to learn, find it. Like Mm -hmm. I've dropped food on the ground. (laughs) So So bless her heart. Um, but she's, uh, She's a good soul. Yeah. And uh, this morning, one of the things I did with her uh, was that that glimmer training practice and and just practice using doing meditation with her, basically. and and so just breathing, uh, so I was um, holding or touching onto her chest and then breathing, exhaling all of my air, breathing in, holding it. And then as I very slowly exhaled, then just stroking along her back. And she was the most relaxed I've ever seen her uh, after probably about five or six cycles of that. It was really great. And so we're definitely going to be doing more of that. 
Oh, wonderful. That sounds lovely, lovely. Um, we had a brief conversation before we came on, on microphone, if you like, and <laughs> you talked about you, you've, you've lost a dog. Um, and I think that's important to, to talk about because there are so many people who've lost a dog and it's so painful. I lost Buddy in 2018, which, you know, it seems a long time ago, but in hard time, it's, right. you know, it's not that long. And there are days, there are still days when something, you know, a, a memory comes up on Facebook or I just think of something or whatever. And right. Or a smell. Or, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes suddenly I'm back and it's as raw as it ever was and I'm crying my eyes out and it's, you know, it's dreadful. It, there is no, you know, time limit to it, is there? But losing a dog is brutal, isn't it? It, it is. And it, it, it's, we spend the most time with our dogs, yeah. more, you know, more time with our dogs than we spend with anybody yeah. practically. And they're, they're in every room of our home and they are, so they're, they're constant, you know, reminders of them everywhere. And of course we are also, we're their caregivers and they're our friends. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's, it's a real, hefty grief and a lot of people actually find it harder to grieve a dog than even just the, even their parents there's sort of an expectation that you know the parents will precede us into the next life uh whatever that looks like for you and and so but our dogs it's it's harder um and it, and it does get easier with a deliberate practice of mourning uh so i lost uh peanut in 2016 and being last year uh, mm. last summer uh, in between that, uh, my husband died three years ago and it is, so mourning is, it's a skill that we are not taught, yes. um, you know, as a, as a rule that we sort of have to discover it as it's, as it becomes urgent to us. Um, somehow in this culture, we sort of, uh, we shy away from it as if it's, mm. um, a problem, um, you know, that, that someone, uh, that the, the death is a problem versus like, it is just part of what we do. This is part of being a human or being a mortal in this world is that, you know, there's death and, and finding, finding a greater meaning in it, finding, um, finding ways to stay connected to, um, whoever we lost, right. The dog or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and so, the part of my practice, uh, which was super helpful, was to just allow feelings, whatever they were, whenever they happened, um, with the exception of uh, feelings that were really part of um, my my um, that sort of bismu, the, the bad stuff maker upper. Mm, mm. Um, and and so if if it's if it's a um, you know the could have, would have, should have, if those things come up, those. I always found where were just blocks for feeling the deeper sadness beneath it. Mm -hmm. So when those came up to say, okay, but that didn't happen. Right. So a practice of acceptance, but that didn't happen. And I'm just really sad right now. Yeah. Um, and allowing myself to cry whenever it came up in whatever setting, if I was teaching a seminar or talking to someone on a bus, it, allowing that sadness to be there it's a gift to other people to to have to be able to bear witness um that that other part of like i could have would have should have that's less that's less useful for other people or ourselves to listen to um and so shifting gears out of that and saying but i did it um that's one practice um another practice that i really like 
is letter writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's a there's a book uh, called the Grief Recovery um, Handbook. And one of the things in there was was basically to think of to kind of write down the whole history of the relationship, all the key on a timeline. Um, and so like your whole dog's lifespan on a timeline. And then from there, write a letter of, um, you know, like being, for example, dear being, I forgive you for, and then all, and each time then all the things I forgive you being, I forgive you for this being, I forgive you for that very short list for dogs, really, mm-hmm. um, for the forgiving. Uh, and then the, the second part of being, I, I apologize for, and then each one, you know, keep repeating the name and that little piece all the way through and then anything else that you wanted to say. So being, I also wanted to say, I love you and I miss you and Zuki misses you or whatever. And, um, and so then to write this letter and then also to read it to someone with a pulse. So who doesn't say anything. Um, so you could read it to another dog, but ideally to a human, because you mm-hmm. know, there's comprehension and there's something that happens in our brain when we express the feelings that we have, um, so there's not this, this unclosed chapter. Um, and so with my husband, I wrote, I wrote that letter. I went to a class for it. I wrote that letter and then read it in there and then read it to anybody who was willing to listen to it. As long as there was emotional juice in that letter, I kept reading it to whoever mm-hmm. would listen. And, and then probably six months later, then I wrote another letter. There were some more things that I hadn't said yet. And and it was just, it was a really helpful process for me. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I, I can, a lot of that sort of um, resonates with me. And that's so, so, so useful. Um, because as you say, we grief is something we shy away from. And whether it's our own grief or, I mean, I was terrified. I remember being terrified because Buddy lived to be 15 and a half. And from about when he was 10, he had cancer. But from about when mm. he was 10, I was terrified. And I would not think about what will happen if he dies? I just would not want to think about it. And that's not helpful when, you know, you know, you're going to have to deal with it. And I think we are. Right. There's that anticipatory grief. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But we as a society are terrified of grief. And, Mm -hmm. and so you don't want to deal with it and you don't want to confront other people's grief. And so, you know, that thing of when you know somebody's grieving, there's that temptation to, well, I won't go and intrude. And really it's, Mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've come to the point where I think, well, it's better for me to go and say, try and make contact and say something, you know, rather they may not be ready for that at the moment, but okay, but I'm going to go and just make sure that they know I'm here. And, Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you're not on your own. It's such a difficult thing to do, though, isn't it? Right, and people tend to to avoid, like you said, avoid talking to the, mm. the person who who is grieving, and it, it's it's as if not talking to them will save them from the pain. Yeah, and it's totally yeah. the opposite. Uh, and so it's like if anyone ever brings up a question and it makes me cry, I'm so grateful because it's an opportunity to integrate that information in my body again, uh, to accept the loss. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so even this conversation right now, I'm feeling in, in my chest, a bit of sadness and yeah. I appreciate the, the, you know, the chance to touch in with that. Um, and it just, it's part of our being alive. It's, uh, and the, the interesting thing with, with peanut was that his, his death was actually to some extent, easier than the the anticipatory grief the Mm, stress of it um 
because you know once he was once he was dead there wasn't like a now i you know there wasn't anything else i could do so anxiety went away it was just sadness yeah, um yeah, and so yeah. to be able to turn back into that sadness um is is important if we try to turn away from it then it becomes just as hard as the anticipatory grief um, but allowing ourselves to be in it um, and to cry whenever you need to cry yeah. um, is important. Yeah. And it's yeah. not just our dogs. Any any transition in our lives has a grief. And so COVID has a grief. Mm. Um, you know, the having a new baby, there's a grief yeah. because yeah. that's a lifestyle change. Uh, anything is uh, has a potential for grief. And so if we don't process our griefs, then then it makes it harder to hold space for other people it makes it harder to change um, and allow for change in our own lives because that's one more thing. Um, and, I, and I would say my, my practice of mourning is what is probably the main thing that has given me more resilience is knowing that I can, I can grieve someone so I, I can love again, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm getting married next year and I'm super excited and I, I love him to bits. And I know that people die. I've had that experience now. And so um, it's, it, it makes it even more precious. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. That would, that's lovely. I, I you know, I, I know there are people listening to this who've, who've lost, you know, a person or a dog or whatever it is, but that's so useful that y- y- there are, you don't have to just sit there and be miserable forever that you can, and you can, you, you, we will get through it and you can, there are things you can do that will help you get through it and process those feelings, not just squash them down and get on with life, but process them and, you know, and find that joy again. Exactly. Right. Because time is not the healer. The healer is processing. Um, yeah. And so not, you know, and also, so the other piece from that book that I was, when I read it, I was like, yes, I'm doing these things already, but which is to, to avoid uh, things that would turn us away from that processing. So not distracting ourselves with the internet or alcohol or, yeah. or, you know, or anything else, even training can become a <laughs> distraction yeah. Yeah. from other things. Uh, and, and obviously we do want to train, um, but, um, but not to the point of turning away from our emotional life. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'd love to keep pursuing this, but I want I on the. Clock, I know, so. I know, we're a little far afield from from uh, any no, dog training. Let's go back to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll steer back. Okay, but that was a useful detour. So thank you for that. Thank you. So, but I want you to, to tell me about the the online dog training school, please. So I I started a dog training school in 2015, mm-hmm. and then in this last year during COVID, just before COVID, I decided to stop traveling around the world so much to teach seminars and then everyone was grounded. So, mm-hmm. so that worked out well. Um, so there are about 75 classes right now. It's growing every month and we have lots of instructors. Basically anybody that I've met along the way that I'm like, Oh, you have a gem and I want other people to know what you know, mm-hmm. I bring them in to teach a webinar. Um, so Katrine Lismont from Germany is, is one of those gems. She's amazing. She does, she's a T-Touch practitioner and a certified bat instructor, and she has just such an eye for um, movement. She has a webinar called Microsigns that's amazing, and then a T-Touch plus bat combo webinar. And uh, But we've got like Mike Shikashio and Susan Friedman and all kinds of people on there, and it's it's really, it's been inspiring. I've, I've picked all the people that 
a really empowerment based for the dogs. So it's a really consistent message. The techniques, of course, can vary, um, but it's a consistent message in terms of that. Yeah. Excellent. And where can yeah. people find that? Uh, it's grishastewart.com. And then it, it's the technical one that'll take you to the store or the school. And uh, so school.grishastewart.com. And it comes as a, either people can sign up individually for things or as a membership. And the membership I made because I wanted dog training to be affordable for people. It's only right now it's $29.99 a month uh, in US dollars. And it that includes everything that we offer. So basically then people can budget for their dog training and they get everything that they um that we have. So yeah. it's a it's a nice supportive group as well. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And that's important that finding you know, people who are going through the same thing as you, because one of the important things I, I used to love about dog training classes before COVID, when we, when I used to go to training classes but, <laughs> in person. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, but that kind of, the, the, if you like the moaning that we all did, you know, does your dog, yes, little swine. Oh, yeah. And that, you know, well, we still all love our dogs, but they're still doing things that drive us mad at times. And that's, you know, <laughs> a life with a dog kind of thing. And we'll find ways through it. But, you know, just to share that, yes, mm. ah. <laughs> Right. I'm not the only one yes. here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yep. wonderful. Okay, great. Thank you ever so much for that. It's lovely. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? Oh, um, <laughs> well, let's see. So I, I've recently had a, a little bit of a, a Facebook rant and I'll, I'll, I'll go into some of it here, but basically mm-hmm. that, so dog trainers are, we, we affect change. We have ways to make the world a better place if for dogs, and we can make the world a better place for humans as well. And the first step of that is to really be kind to ourselves. I think we tend to treat dogs and other people as we would treat some part of ourselves. And so if we can be really consistent with teaching, treating ourselves in a kind way, when something doesn't go right, we don't beat ourselves up or shame ourselves. We actually then say, okay, well, this is a challenge. How can I do this differently? And and so when we're more kind to ourselves and we don't use punishment on ourselves, then we are better equipped to be able to use reinforcement and uh, meet the needs of others as well as ourselves. And so in conversation, whether that's in person or especially if it's on social media, I would urge us all to be really aware of is this meeting the person where they're at? Is this building a bridge or is this just saying my point in order to, to gain some sort of, um, you know, to feel like I made a difference? Mm. Um, are we actually making a difference? So I have a saying for dogs, which is train the dog you have today, meet the dog where they're at, and then encourage that behavior to change uh, by meeting their needs along the way. And so when we're talking to other humans, recognize that we all have a need to be happy. We all have a need to be effective and to contribute. And to so if we can, if we can be aware of those needs um, and not use shame to try to change behavior because it's not effective. Yeah, yeah, Th- that's that's really good. The, the trick is to to use that positive voice with yourself because I am so. You know, I will talk to myself, you, know, you stupid woman, why have you done that? In a way that I would 
never speak to anyone else. And Jenny, my daughter and I talk to each other. Why, why are you saying that? What would you say? Would you say that to me? Would you say that to someone else? No, I wouldn't. Well, don't say it to yourself. So we, we try, but that, you know, my, my inner voice is really horrible to me. <laughs> right, right. And, and the, so the cool thing is whenever you notice that, that's a win. So rather than saying, oh, no, I'm shaming myself. Shame on you for shaming yourself. So, right. It's like, it's just like, oh, yes, I caught it. Right. So that is, so when you notice yourself, that's the equivalent of a dog looking at a trigger and then looking away. So that's a good thing. That's a win. And you can celebrate that. Yeah. Do you know, you've not just helped me with the dog training. You've helped me with me tonight. So thank you very much. You're welcome. That genuinely gave me a lot of food for thought about the way I think about a lot of things. One of them being the way that I can still really beat myself up about things to do with Buddy. And I think it's important to talk about dog loss and say, I'm still struggling with it. And to share with other dog owners and non-dog owners that pet loss affects us significantly for a long time. We have the links Grisha mentioned at dogcastradio.com. And many thanks to Grisha for that interview. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Great dog trainers have broad skills, not inflexible ideologies. Ralph Weber. Jennifer Billet is an experienced and qualified force-free dog trainer who spent over five years as an assistance dog trainer in Seattle and Hawaii. Now based in London, Jennifer is raising her own Labrador puppy, Griffin, who you will hear in this interview. We talked about how to set a puppy up for lifelong success in the real world. I'm talking to Jennifer Billet from Boneball Bark. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yes, not too bad, thank you. Good. Yeah, we've got a lovely rainy day. I was just telling you, I'm, I'm just getting into gardening in a minor way. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, good. The flowers need the rain. So, oh. <laughs> there you go. Not so good for dog walking, but. <laughs> um, true, true. And, unless you've got a Labrador, which you, of course, have. I do. I have a, he's, well, he's coming up for seven months now. It goes very quickly, but I have a, yeah, I have a black Labrador called Griffin. Um, he comes from working lines. So lovely, high energy and loves the rain. So yeah, yeah. we were out in the rain a lot, which I, I don't particularly mind most of the time, but sometimes. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I always found though, that was when you got, you know, the field or the park, or whatever it was to yourself. Yeah. You know, that's the benefit it, of it yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's when you can practice your heel work to music over in the field <laughs> just yeah. you and the dog. <laughs> oh, so we're going to talk about um se- you know setting your puppy up for for a happy life which i think is really really important because when you get your puppy you're very focused on the here and now of having a puppy mm-hmm. because it's all consuming and we'll, we'll come back to that because it's not all always good all good all consuming <laughs> it is all consuming and you think that time will never end and you'll just always be in this bubble of you know let's face it pee and poo and 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 biting and whatever yes. um but you do have to set them up for for the rest of their life it does it does end that puppy section doesn't it so we're going to talk about how you set a puppy up for a happy life what do you think are the, the priorities of of setting your dog up for a happy life 
think it is really challenging when you first bring that puppy home, because even for me, I had in my mind as to what was the most important, but you're so wrapped up in, oh, he's not sleeping. I need sleep. There's poop everywhere or, you know, whatever's going on that it is hard to see the bigger picture and that it does go very fast. To me, it was um, confidence, confidence in him, confidence in me, um, trust, um, and very consistent in our interactions or, um, how he was handled, things like that. I, that's where I wanted to start um, because I think that that sets a, a really good foundation. I knew that I wanted a very confident puppy or a self-confident puppy. Um, and that was sort of my my starting point for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely, because you have to be consistent. I think that's a really, really important thing because the puppy has to know that when they come to you, good things happen, you know, and yeah. that... that yeah. They don't need to be frightened of you. They can come to you for, for security, for help. Something's yeah. frightened, frightening me or, or just for happy times. Hey, I want to cuddle, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> that's it. You've got to be that, that central source of all good things for the yeah. puppy. And, um, and as you say, when, when, the, when the dog's keeping you awake yes. and you need <laughs> sleep as well, that's, that can be quite difficult to do when you go, don't leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done that, yeah. <laughs> When, yes, um, same. <laughs> I, I think you get it the thing is you get it with every puppy because mm-hmm. you know and I think the difference the main difference for me between the first puppy you deal with and the puppies thereafter with the first puppy you don't realize that there is a, an end point that it will, right. stop. Right. It will life yeah. will go back to some kind of normal again but with the puppies thereafter you 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 realize okay I've got to it may be different problems each each puppy, but you know, well, I can find a solution. We will get to a, a you know a good point again. Um, but they are all different. They all require different. You know, they there's not a generic dog or generic right right that one size fits all, is there? No, not at all. Um, and yeah, I think that that can be what's what's overwhelming as well. I know for me, this was my first experience of having one dog to solely focus on um and I have had plenty of experience I used to um work an assistance dog organization and I was in charge of all of the puppies and I I lived with them and, and everything but when you have multiple dogs in your care you're not sort of solely focused on one and one slight movement and <laughs> things like that so yeah. um it definitely is hard on with that first one to know like well very soon this problem isn't going to be a problem for yeah. Just, just today it seems like a problem oh he's choking on his buffalo ear sorry oh, <laughs> oh. well that's I mean that's that's um, that's very on, on time of him because with Griffin there um you have the experience of of fitting a puppy for you know real life in, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's really important as well because when I first got buddy buddy all those years ago um I can remember a point where we got we went to training because I knew you had to go to training so I went yes. to training and we we got we and we did well, you know, and we did all the right things. And we got to a point where they we were doing the recall in the class. And so you call him in and you send him around your back, you know, you do finish and you send him back around your back and he goes around and sits down. Yep. And he would do that. And but and I was thinking, but when we're at the park and there's children with a football, he won't do this. All this flies out of the window. And he yep. so he'll do a finish here. He won't even do the recall in the real world. Yep. So I think that's that's the key, isn't it? That our dogs live in the real world. So they need to be yeah. equipped for the real world. Yeah. And the, the real world that's um, relatable to you and your real world as well. Yeah. Um, 
I, I have plenty of clients who, when you go and see them and they have their new eight week old puppy and, you know, their goals are that they want their puppy to be able to walk off leash and hang off their every word. And you have to then start the conversation of, well, for them to be able to walk off leash in busy areas, you need them to be a confident um, puppy because you don't want a car to suddenly come by and it scare them and they run up or anything like that. So, um, I think that sort of actually opens the the conversation where you're like, oh, okay, so this is your goal. We need to start yes. uh, right back here in um, introducing your puppy to noises and yeah. uh, things like that. And in recall for me, my my big things um, and what I started with Griffin straight away wasn't recall. It was um, getting used to my hand coming um, towards him from all angles. If yes. you have a dog that can come back to you, that's, fantastic but that's only part of recall because I need my puppy to come back to me and also be really comfortable and happy with me uh, grabbing his collar if need be if he shies away from my hand or jumps back what's the use of a recall (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and and that's a really important point we we've had um small enough I had and my Labrador buddy, um, love of my life. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we, <laughs> we also have, we, we've had Star, who's Jenny's Bichon Freeze, no longer with us either. She was gorgeous. Um, and now we have Mischief, who's a little German Spitz Klein. Um, and particularly with our small dogs, we've always been careful not to sort of just scoop them up with no warning. So again, that exactly what you're saying there, that, that thing of a hand's coming towards you, they know, yeah. well, this hand has said, you know, or the, the person attached to this hand has said, do you want to be picked up? Or sometimes, yep. I have to say, sometimes it's, I'm going to pick you up. But right. there's, you know, if there's a danger or something, whatever. But yep. most of the time they get the choice so that occasionally when it's, look, I'm going to pick you up. And then yep. that happens. You know. But we've communicated with them. So it's not just a hand shoots out from, from nowhere. And it's suddenly, yep. oh, my goodness. So, but, you know, I don't, I, I really, it, I'm sorry for dogs who are hand shy because it's not a, a comfortable life for them, is it? No, not at all, because think of all the different ways we do reach towards our dogs. A lot of the time it's all positive, but to them, a lot of the time it's negative, um, whether they have something in their mouth and they don't have a drop it or leave it cue. Um, and, you know, you go to to grab it out of their mouth um, or some dogs don't particularly enjoy being pet all that much, to be honest. Yeah. And so sometimes having their owner pet them um can be a, a negative experience for them so yeah I, I um, feel feel sorry for dogs <laughs> that grow up that way too um, and it's sometimes a really hard conversation to have with owners because if you're saying oh you see how he's shying away from your hand while you're petting him and you know but to us it's like oh I have a dog of course he wants to be cuddled of course yes. he needs hugs of course he needs to be pet um, so, so that can often be a little bit of a, a hard or awkward conversation but it's yeah. it's, it's true yeah yeah and I think as well perhaps if you've had a dog I'm I'm picking on Labradors but not you know every breed is they're all individuals but you know for example so my black Labrador he did want to be in in contact with you and touched and fussed you know and he would come and just bang your hand and like oh you know fussing and then so you take it for granted that all dogs want this constant attention and the first time somebody said to me just the dog getting up by you on the sofa is not necessarily a sign that they want to be fussed. And that was just like, Pew! and my mind was like, what? Yeah. You know, and then when you actually look into it, no, sometimes actually, it's, and um, mischief is very much like that. She will sometimes just want to sit by you, but she doesn't want to be sort of messed yeah. about the whole time. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that that also then promotes conversation about canine body language. Um, mm. They give us so many signals that are, are very easily misread by owners, both first time and long term dog owners. Um, for example, yeah. you know, oh, well, he's wagging his tail. You know, that's so I think understanding if we're talking about how to raise a happy puppy, I think it should first come from um, owners being aware and understanding what um, a yawn might mean or um, when they shake off or, you know, just learn to read their language uh, to help build that trust um, and confidence as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes my experience, I won't tell the whole story because I've told it several times before, but, you know, my experience of not recognising my dog saying, you're stressing me. Yeah. Now, actually, again, I was really lucky that was with a Labrador who was just going, oh, you're stressing me. Yeah. And, but I hated it because after, when I learned that I was stressing this dog that I adored. Yes, it's you know, heartbreaking, isn't yes. it? <laughs> yeah. And you're, right. I've got to learn to read what he's saying to me so I can yeah. stop a situation if it is stressing him. And it's, that's, I think in, in training and life in general, read the dog. Yeah. And, and you know, back off or, or take them out of a situation or whatever it is read them and, and what because they talk to you constantly don't they but yeah we don't always read what they're saying no not at all I and I do ask um some clients especially if they do have quite nervous puppies and um, which we're seeing a lot of because of the past year um yeah. it's um I think sometimes we can get quite emotional and and um worked up about it as well as owners um I know that speaking from experience uh, Griffin I've never really been around a lab who was a little bit fearful of um men in particular mm. and I I uh, to start with was very emotional about it but I sort of say to people take it as information keep a list of things that they do seem nervous of and then we can work through it in a really positive um step-by-step way as opposed to you know oh well it'll be okay we'll just keep you know shoving you in these situations because you'll get used to it sort of thing so yeah no no absolutely and I think as well when you said about noise, I'd, I'd forgotten, but again, a long time ago, when I first started walking Buddy, we, we were main on quiet road, roads, but when we did go onto a main road and a bus went past, he right. was like, whoa. So, okay, yeah. we stepped back a bit and we, and we, you know, occasionally went on those roads again, but always lots and lots of praise and a bit of cheese or a treat or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, he, eventually he couldn't give a monkeys. He was really, really bomb-proof. Um, but he didn't, he, you know, he didn't come out of a box like that kind of thing. And I think no. that's really important to say that you can't, there's no, um, there's no bypass. There's no shortcut to no. the dog you're going to have. You've got to put this um, groundwork in, haven't you, with that puppy and spend the time and put that foundation in to get the dog you want. And oftentimes that can be a very extended period of time. Um, you know, sometimes when we say puppy, you think of that cute eight to 16 week old um, age gap. And whereas I think it's actually more, yes, that socialization window is probably the most important part, but then we have, um, you know, other fear periods. We have adolescence, we have hormones, we have maturity. You know, I, I'm very aware and consistently reinforce and expose Griffin um, to various stimuli um or experiences now and he's quote unquote you know finished with his puppyhood or whatever but um yeah and and they can develop they can develop um phobias or um sensitivities or um just uh, over time or something bad happening that's always unfortunate as well yeah yeah absolutely i mean you know at some point i mean i remember with star a um a, a malamute 
stepped on her absolutely in accident you know accidentally and, yeah. and, and in, in all niceness and, and just yeah. the exuberance of, of, of being a young dog and she always remembered that malamutes are not to be trusted thank you yeah. and she wasn't aggressive or anything, but she just she would not get near them she was like no one trod on me once i'm not getting my one again yeah. you know so as you yeah. say they, they can um and she, luckily she was robust but um you know she she never forgot that so yeah a bad experience can can stay with them so a couple of things i want to come back to socialization but a couple of things to say there talking about bad experiences that having a puppy can be lovely but it can be <laughs> horrible it can yeah. push you push you to the limits can't it so I mean yes. can, can we just be honest and address that that it, it's, oh, it's sure. wonderful but it's horrible <laughs> it, the majority of it is ho- horrible <laughs> I'm, yes. I'm not gonna lie um I I try to be as honest as possible um, and it's been really nice nice at having Griffin and I can speak to a very recent experience of how you know <laughs> devastating the first sort of month is yes. um you and you know you do question what have I done can I give yeah. them back? <laughs> you know, yes. anything, anything yeah. along those lines, especially at three o'clock in the morning when it's, yeah. you know, no sleep has happened. Um, I think, and I think people should talk about it more readily because yeah. uh, I think with the rise of popularity in, um, in puppies, especially this last year, you're seeing a lot on social media with these gorgeous, you know, gorgeous puppies living their best lives and not many people saying, yeah, it can be pretty traumatic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's when, it's when, you know, they've, they've peed or pooed and you've got up out of bed and you've your first job yeah. of the day, okay, clean them off. And then they've done it again. And, and like you're absolutely soaking wet. They're now soaking wet with pee again. And everything, every towel in the house is dirty and the yeah. floors. And it's just that kind of, uh, st- just stop this for, for, you know, five minutes yeah. even. and just Give me an hour, just yeah. a shower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and it's um it's hard and you've got to have strategies in place to to get around that crate is yep. for me is sanity saving. Um yeah. but it is it's it's hard work. So anybody listening to this who's thinking, well, you know, but I'm I'm struggling and I'm failing and I'm not, you know, we all well, a lot of us feel like that at some points with a puppy that you don't win every day all the time, do you? So, you know, it's not at all. No, not, no. not at all. <laughs> Quite a few clients, you know, they they say like, oh, this kind of felt like a therapy session for me when we're sort of just sort of commiserating is yeah god it's you feel like you're in the trenches with yeah. with this cute fluffy thing that's supposed to just cuddle cuddle you constantly and all you're doing is getting bitten and yeah. <laughs> scratched and yeah. barked at or whatever yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the hardest things i know with with mischief um she bit jenny a lot as now she's mm. the sweetest kindest lovely little dog you know but as a yeah. puppy she bit jenny a lot and it was mainly jenny it wasn't us and I don't know why, still to this day, I don't know why. But I can remember Jenny being very, very upset. Jen, Jenny, yeah. my daughter. And, you know, yeah. and, and saying, um, you know, why is she biting me? And you take it so right. personally and, and it hurts. So it is a very emotional time, isn't it? Yes, a very emotional time, especially with the lack of sleep or um, or even, you know, some puppies do great. And I hear all the time, oh, he sleeps through the night. And I'm thinking, God, I'm jealous. <laughs> that wasn't my experience with Griffin, but um but there will be uh, a ton of other things that. Uh... <laughs> Speaking of puppies, <laughs> good for him. I've got, 
I've got a teenager now, <laughs> almost teenager. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Now the fun begins. <laughs> now the fun definitely begins. <laughs> That's another story. That is another Although, story. Yeah, sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> I would have done as well. But, I mean, that's another story. But it's part of puppyhood, isn't it? That, that adolescent yeah. phase. And, and, again, it's part of that you don't get the dog you know, the perfect dog out of a box. And I think that's really, really important. You've got to do the work. When, when Buddy got to four or five, you know, I, he was just perfect. And he was, you know, he was, uh, well, I'll finish the thought. He was perfect. I was gonna say he was perfect for the rest of his life. So I had, I was really, really lucky. And I had sort of 10, 11 more years of him at that perfect. Yeah, he was 15 and a half. So I was really, really lucky. That's amazing. So we put that work in and, and, you know, he drove me. I forget the bits where he drove me mad in the first two years. <laughs> yes. you think, what the heck is going on in your brain, dog? You know, and and you remember that perfect dog. And then something reminds you, and you go, oh, yeah, you were a little swine, were you? Did you said you like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. Um, but, you know, early on, so there's lots and lots of work to do. Um, I know. I was going to say the perfect dog. He was the perfect dog for me. And, right. I, and I think, I always, the way I put it is the rod you make for your own back is the rod that you can bear, you know? So the, <laughs> yeah, I like you, that. Yeah. <laughs> you eliminate the, <laughs> yeah, you eliminate the behaviors that you can't stand. Yeah. But you do sometimes look at somebody else's dog and go, how do you live with that dog? <laughs> you know? it's, it's, it's such an interesting, yeah, it's such an interesting concept because, well, because uh, I have lots of people who say like, oh, um, you know, is it, is it okay that he's on the furniture? And I'm like, is it okay with you? absolutely <laughs> if yeah. it's okay with you then sure go for it and or some people so for me personally I I'm he's allowed on the furniture that's that's fine with me my big thing is um, I'm, I'm just not a fan of barking so we worked really hard on um, sort of impulse control around that and uh lots of other different types of behaviors to counteract that but for me I was like oh you want to get on my bed yeah yeah sure yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely other people it's... don't want that but no <laughs> that's fine no. It's it's difficult when because in our household there's four of us, and right. and my husband doesn't doesn't really like the barking too much, so that will drive him mad, and he'll suddenly go, "Can you can you do something about the barking?" And go, oh, was she barking? Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's getting more, gets more complicated when different people in the household. Have That's different... true. That is very true. Yes. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting time to talk about. It's, it is a very challenging time to to go through, and you know I'm thinking about now having a puppy hopefully at some point soon ish you know mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm to, to be fair I'm really really excited and a little bit of yeah. dread there of like will I be able to do it and and all the hard work it is um you know it will be wonderful but it will be difficult times now you you offer um, a puppy training course don't you and yeah. I mean when you pick up that puppy at eight weeks obviously yeah. you're not going you're not going to be doing sort of the the recall and finish training kind of thing but what do well I'll just ask the question leave you to answer it can can you do training when you get that puppy whether it's eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever can you start doing some training then yeah for sure definitely um I I started um sort of straight away the things that I started though is I'm not sure if people call this training I think when you hear training you think of cues you think of sit or stay or down or whatever it might be um but for me it was um here is your harness we're going to work on um luring your head through your harness uh introducing to marker training all, all things like that so I started training straight straight away even just 
following you being a rewarding experience that's that's the start of basic recall training um and that they can take all that in at that age for sure definitely definitely i mean i mean the other thing that i always try to remind myself about and the people is you we as humans you kind of go right okay now it's training session i'm doing some training but the dog doesn't switch off when it's not a training session they're always watching you and learning and picking up on what you're doing so it's all the time for the dog isn't it yep all the time which is where consistency is um in my mind very important um especially in because they're quite location they're location specific learners and contextual learners as well it's being consistent in um how they where they're allowed or um say for example if you start feeding them from the table at eight weeks because they're very cute and small and you know the jumping up at your legs is adorable at this age you know he's expected to be 35 kilograms <laughs> I, yes. so I think it's about sort of setting those um those sort of training habits I suppose or that consistency right from the word go of course yeah. there's leeway and um we're not perfect all the time but just maybe having a little thought I sort of say to clients between yourselves if you can think of some hard rules so to speak of what you do want and what you don't want just make sure at eight weeks you know that start it then don't wait until they're like oh well when they're a bit older we'll then tell them not to jump up at the counters or whatever it might be yeah yeah absolutely absolutely. because when they're they're tiny and you think oh go on it won't matter and yeah Yeah. it does the one thing I wanted to say was you know I absolutely agree starting in sort of start as you mean to go on that's a really really good um adage to have in mind yeah what about when initially when you get the puppy and he's been taken, yeah. he or she has been taken from the bosom of their family. They've only known other little <laughs> bodies around them, you know, and surrounded by love and, and others of their kind. So you take them into your house with different smells and different sounds and different experiences yeah. and all this. And it must be quite bewildering. What, what about initially, you know, when you say starting to mean to go on, can, can we have a little bit of leeway early on? What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. I, I sort of, I suppose what I mean by the, the hard rules for me, um, I knew that I didn't want him to get used to sleeping in my bed with me overnight. Mm -hmm. So I knew that that was my sort of, that was my hard line for myself. Um, But that didn't mean that, I know I spent many nights on a mattress in his pen with him, you know, it's some nights he just had to sleep in my lap because we all needed sleep. You know, I think it's, uh, it's definitely being as flexible as, as needed in those moments. Um, But if you do have sort of, strong opinions or know what you do want it to look like when they are a year old seeing if there can be a little bit of a balance there so he he never did sleep in my bed and he never has um he's allowed on it during the day but at night he doesn't um but that doesn't mean that I didn't spend many a night (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah curled up you know in his bed with him (laughs) yeah yeah I guess that's the thing you know how what is the rule? How can I communicate this to the dog? Because the dog won't understand. You can go on my lap now, but don't do it when, you know, my friend Sandra's here or don't do this when it's a Tuesday and I've got my best clothes on or whatever it is. <laughs> the, the dog doesn't get that. So what what can the rule be maybe that the dog can get, you know? I I think it depends on the owner. It depends on the 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 
issue um i think management for puppies is just so important they don't understand um i think it just adds more stress and frustration to you if your you know the couch is freely available or your bed is freely available and then you find them on the bed and you get annoyed and yes you get annoyed with them which you shouldn't and you know all that sort of thing so to me to start with it's all management i had uh, pens everywhere blocking uh, where he couldn't go there's, there's a pen by my bed even now yeah, where yeah. I just block off access to my bed because why it wouldn't be his fault if he got on the bed in the night because I let him on yeah. at other times so yes um, I think management is is key here um yeah, and that's absolutely. sometimes you know that can go on for quite a while as well so you have to be prepared to live with putting your shoes every single time back in the closet <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and yeah. if they don't well you know that's yeah. your mistake yeah, I think as, as you said about food as well, you know, mm. because again, the the other thing you, you can end up going no, no, no to a puppy, yeah. aren't you? And, and what does that mean? You're just a horrible yeah. person. You keep shouting at me. Whereas, okay, I'm not, and I know it's. <laughs> I like to eat my tea on a plate on my lap watching television, you know. Yeah. And so, but for a while, you, you might be easier to say, well, I'm going to eat up to the table, so the dog can't jump on my plate, and they can't, you know. Mm-hmm. And and we're going to gradually work towards you know living in harmony but it doesn't it doesn't happen straight away and use those tools use the table use the crate use the gates yeah there's so so many ways to manage it and I always think just a little bit of forethought can can save you so much and and save the dog so much misery sometimes yeah for for sure um and that's that's exactly what I was doing with Griffin in terms of when I was eating my dinner, instead of, you know, trying to build impulse control, long <laughs> impulse control into a, a tiny puppy who couldn't last one second without, you know, wanting yeah. his food sort of thing. It was, well, I'm going to set up confidence boosting exercises, um, you know, over there while I eat my dinner here, you're busy, you're doing something fun. We don't have to have this um, sort of push pull thing yes. going on. Um, so I did, I did a lot of that. Um, and I have lots of videos of that on, on my course just to, just to show like, Oh, look at all these different things you can say yes to um so you never need to say no yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um and I think that's great because we do and you you can't really you can't really avoid going no at times because we're humans and we that's our sometimes you know um but ideally you know I do aim to to not say no because um it's just so negative and what does it mean to a dog no it has no it has no meaning it has no meaning um I think if we can think about when you say no and of course I've said no <laughs> you know yes, like yeah. it comes naturally at times um but if you try to sort of in your head think what is the behavior that I'm wanting in the moment and it can't be stop what's yeah. the what's the behavior is it turning to look at me is it coming away is it um, not bolting through the door so maybe a down or something and work on that as opposed to um just saying no because yeah. that has no behavioral association for the for the puppy yeah. or for the adult dog any dog no absolutely <laughs> absolutely don't you so socialization <laughs> it's a it's such a word. <laughs> difficult to thing because there's so many different approaches to it and how do we do it right so so tell me how how should we be doing socialization with our puppies I think that it should be well planned yeah and not just um I have to socialize my puppy okay here we go um I 
made a list of things and I encouraged my clients to make a list of things that they would love for their adult dog to be able to do or places to go, um, whether that's maybe into the office or they take long train journeys a lot or whatever it might be. Um, and that is where we start. So I started with um, noises first. Um mostly because we're in lockdown but actually I think that this is applicable regardless of if we're in a lockdown um I uh used many playlists on YouTube um of the underground well he's looking at me what else did we do <laughs> <laughs> um motorbikes um children in the playground sounds cheering fireworks all things that I know that he would need to hear living a London life and um, that I couldn't replicate during lockdown. And then you start to increase its difficulty once they're comfortable with it. So here's the noise. Okay, now let's go and see see this in real life, but at a really good distance. And it's going to be really fun. And watching that body language. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I can, if you relate to it in, in human terms, if you like. So for example, I am, it's not a phobia, but I'm very frightened of wasps and bees. I'm very frightened. Right. So right. If there was one in the room now, while I'm trying to talk to you, I'd be like really distracted and I'd be sort of, yeah. hey, you know, whereas if, if there was one sort of, you know, at, at the other side of the window or whatever, yeah, I'm fine. Um, and I can get, I'm getting a lot better actually. And I'm, I'm learning so many lovely things about bees. Um, and of course they are vital. I, I'm oh, with the very, plants, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> they get a lot closer now. But uh, yes, I'm spending more time in the garden. Um and, and I'm reading things like they, they spend a lot of time, they, they cuddle up and hold each other's legs and things. And you, you can't help oh, them. No. Yeah, when they're asleep. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, they're amazing. So, I, you know, I'm getting better. But I know exactly what you mean about if, if I'm at a distance from a bee, then I can be okay. And the closer it gets, the more I'm like focusing on the bee and I can't, I can't think or, you know, so I couldn't be writing. I couldn't be doing maths or, you know, I couldn't be working in the yeah. way we're asking yeah. a dog to work and concentrate. So, yeah you know step back make it as easy as you can for the dog and, and go to that level where they can they can work um so yeah I think that's that's great what about <laughs> let's get to ask you a really different question what I about I know yes <laughs> you've done you've, you've done the revision you'll be fine so <laughs> what about socialization with other dogs you know literally just <laughs> mixing with other dogs. what how do we do that <laughs> Or that this is where people differ in their opinions um, quite a lot. Um, For me, I um, made a choice to introduce Griffin to two or three dogs that I knew. And I knew that they were vaccinated and um, that they had fairly appropriate play styles. Um, One was a a one-year-old. Another one was a a six or seven-year-old, but that showed no... um, that, that I knew were good players and would and would uh, yeah. be appropriate with him, and also had some confidence to turn around if he was too overexcited with them, just to give a little oh no too much. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's the way to go. Um, personally, is finding one or two dogs that you do know and that you that you know will um, play well with them. I think sometimes, especially with this lockdown, people with puppies will bring all of their puppies together, but none of them have any canine communication skills or what they they do know is what they learn from their litter, which is very important for sure, yeah. but very specific yes. as well. Um, yeah. And I think I wanted for him one-on-one interaction initially before I introduced the a whole cluster of dogs of varying ages and um and uh, sort of where their um 
sexual maturity might be as well um yeah so yeah. I started I started quite slow knowing that being a dog trainer being around dogs I need him to be very very comfortable with yeah. um with other dogs yeah um, so I I, I go uh, down that route of like slow steady yeah definitely definitely do you know I think as well it's it, maybe it's it's how well the dogs know each other I mean, exactly what you're saying about being in the litter that they they know each other and they know what they're yeah. saying to each other. And it's vital. But I can remember taking Buddy when he was perhaps, he would have been four, at least four. He could have been five. And we went to a training class and the dogs there were wonderful. They were lovely. And we did the training session and they all worked hard. And then they, now these dogs had gone from puppy class right through to however old they were. They were all sort of over one. Um, okay perhaps two or three and so they'd grown grown up together and they knew each other really yeah. really well so they'd worked hard and then she said okay let them off lead and let them have a play so these dogs who, who'd grown up together kind of thing started I let Buddy off with them and they really got really exuberant and Buddy bless him kind of ran back and went almost sidled up to me and went put me back on the lead put me back on yeah. the lead <laughs> <laughs> like help Help. Yeah. And over time, right? and, and as I say, he was really a confident dog. He had excellent social skills. And I don't I don't say that to, to blow my trumpet at all, but to blow his trumpet. And and that I was told that by a behaviorist. That's not, not just me going, oh, wasn't my dog wonderful? But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I had it officially. <laughs> I had it officially. <laughs> um and, and gradually, you know, they became really great mates and he would go and join in and he'd know, OK, I'm not going to get beaten up here. <laughs> um, but initially he was a bit kind of, wow, these guys are mad. Put me back on the lead. So, again, I think it's read the dog, read the situation. And, and again, allow them that space if they're not comfortable. OK, you know, get, and, and, and with, with people as well. So I'm awful for saying to people, you know, can, can I say hello to the dog? I can't resist a dog. But then if the dog that I'm trying to meet is clearly saying, I don't want to meet you, actually, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I hate it if the owner is then trying to pull the dog out and going, hang on, yeah. they'll say hello. You know, I don't want to say hello to all people. So surely dogs should have the right to say, I don't actually want to meet you. Thank you. And I think that needs to be a goal for everyone is, um, oh, I, I, you know, I just, I, I want my dog to be friendly. I want them to have a big group of friends to play with or, you know, and I, I think the goal should be that you, you want your dog to be confident and comfortable and happy around other dogs, but that they don't have to necessarily um, engage. Um, yeah. I would quite like my dog to be able to trot past another dog and not feel that need to, to greet or, um, you know, I think with socialization, if they get to have many, many play dates with lots and lots of puppies, um, they start to see other dogs as these huge bursts of adrenaline, sometimes cortisol. Um, and that's what they're learning through that experience. Yeah, so, yeah. um, I yes I and you also don't know how they feel kind of like us some days I'm really in the mood to meet a whole bunch of friends and do something Mm -hmm. fun and other days I'm like oh I've got a headache or not feeling too social I think sometimes with our dogs we think of them as being the same the whole time without taking into account like well actually you know we went to the vet this morning or we had a late night or he did something exciting yesterday he might be sore from a, a beach run or whatever it might be so it's yeah. it can be a tricky tricky one uh, yeah. when you have a very sociable dog and then sometimes they're not or other <laughs> yeah. vice versa <laughs> yeah yeah that's a really good point though that, that you know just like us they have good days they have bad days and yeah. you know if you encountered me when I was not feeling very well I had a headache I wouldn't be 
all bubbly and no yeah let's chat like I would be you know most of the rest of the time so and just like that our, our dogs are like that so yeah really really important to say that is there and I know there's so much to say on this subject and I'm aware that there are probably a lot of people at the moment struggling with a, a young dog or a puppy that they've taken on you know and and I think that's sad because it should although we've said yeah it can it can have horrible aspects to it and the earlier on in the, in the puppy puppy food, it's <laughs> yeah. difficult it can be really difficult I guess for both sides but um I and I'll give you a chance because I know you you offer a lot of help online but is there anything else that you'd like to say about you know sort of raising that that happy puppy I think something that you can just really easily start straight off is not don't worry about tricks or um anything like that I think it's it's I know we've talked about sort of trust and consistency and comfort but even we we call it handler focus um Mm. I think if you can just build that looking at you and engaging with you is such a fun thing um I do marker training that's how I train and Mm. you know just I I really hammer it in early on that anytime that puppy looks at you when you're outdoors click and treat or yes and treat or whatever it is just be like I'm here. I'm a big source of fun. And I'm also here for you, not just the thing at the other end of the leash. Or if you're feeling nervous, I would rather they were like, oh, turn to look at me. So yes. I think raising a happy puppy and a, and a confident puppy is also getting there, getting that from you um, and knowing that they can turn to you for something good. So I think hand the focus is sort of another another thing that um, I really, really stress. Um, a lot and that's what I did a ton um, with Griffin because it meant that when he we did encounter people on the street because I had done so much of that he would automatically turn to look at me um, and I can reward that and you know move him away or help him whatever we were doing um, surrounding that person but um, I think just the power of that eye contact and that yeah that bond as well yeah definitely definitely because you're not going to get anywhere with training well you're not going to get very far with training if the dog and you don't have that bond if you're not a team yeah and and surely that's why we get them I mean as well that's so brilliant because with mischief we've we've learned as we've gone along you know and and we've always been positive with our dogs but we've learned more about how to be positive how to implement implement positivity kind of thing if you like in a practical (laughs) way (laughs) yeah because it's all very well thing I want to be positive with the dog but how do I actually convey that to the dog you know and and we've been more and more more positive and she is so willing she she's got some um, Pomeranian in, in her ancestry so she could be quite a little she, because um her breed in in continental Europe they don't separate the two as I understand it um oh interesting yeah that. yeah yeah so she could be quite she's got the potential to be perhaps a little stubborn <laughs> um <laughs> and she is the most willing dog any of the four of us say to her come here do this come out come in you know she's yep. they're like a shot because she knows good things will happen and yeah that's a marvelous frame of mind for her to be in it works marvelously for us but isn't that good for everybody concerned and for sure and then i think that that makes training uh, then you can start training things because you have a dog that's confident to try new things yes. um that's yeah. what can be hard sometimes about um dogs that might have been trained with adversive methods originally or um, just not lacking in confidence in general that they're so nervous to to even try and offer a behavior or follow the law or whatever it is that you might be doing that it can be really quite challenging and to help them see this as a positive experience experience whereas I love a dog that can be like 
oh, this is new. I wonder what's going on. Oh, well, maybe I'll try this because last time I did this, good things happen. Um, and then that's how you train is you yeah. shape and shape a behavior. And, yeah. and you need a confident dog who's willing to try. Yeah. Yeah. And that definitely. comes from positive reinforcement and just positivity in general. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always think, you know, if I always try and put it in human terms and if you if you were learning anything, you know, from a language to do um, woodwork to anything, if the person teaching you, if you when you got it right, they great, lovely. And they I don't know, verbal praise and gave you a treat and whatever. Great, lovely. When you got it wrong, if they just kind of walked on by or didn't give you any feedback, that wouldn't be terribly, wouldn't be helpful on a human level, but it wouldn't be awful. If they came and sort of shouted at you and berated you and said to everybody else, look at this dreadful, you know, what they're doing, <laughs> you'd, you'd, you'd stop, wouldn't you? And you think, oh, I'm not going to offer it. You know, I'm thinking of the maths class because that for me, you know, you, right. you give an answer right. in maths and then, no, oh, you're a stupid child. No, right? you, <laughs> and then so you sit there and you, that's how you get a class full of people that won't raise a hand and won't put their head above the parapet. Kind of, and it's like that for our dogs, I think, because, you know, if, if they don't get it right, well, okay, either ignore or withhold the treat or whatever. And then, as you say, if they know if they know only good things will come from you, you they might withhold a good thing, but the only thing coming out of you is going to be a good thing. They'll try and try and try, won't they? Yeah. And I, I often use that as sort of a human example to help people sort of see that from a different point of view. And I, I sort of say to people, and I, I probably read this somewhere and have just spouted it a lot. So it feels like just something I say all the time. But imagine I put you in a room with lots of different objects. Um, uh, but I knew that there was only one thing in that room you were allowed to touch. And every time you touch something that you weren't allowed to touch, I would yell at you or pinch you or whatever it is soon you would just stand completely still and not move because you would be too nervous about trying to find that um that thing that you are allowed to touch and I, I think that's a good sort of visualization for um training yeah. using positive reinforcement training but also how important management is because that's what you do to a puppy is you put them in a room of all of these different things some of which I know what they're allowed to touch, but to them, they want to bite and explore everything. And if I'm constantly like, no, not the couch, no, not the sideboard, no, not the rug, no, not the, you know, of course, then they're going to probably be quite shut down or frustrated, you know, then the biting increases because they're frustrated. Um, So I think that that sort of can work on both, both training and the management side of things. Yeah. Definitely. I always think having a puppy makes you you increase your tidiness because you've got to keep everything away from it. Get it up and, and get it out of the room. <laughs> and depending on the dog as well, like I think to begin with, for us the tidy the tidiness was um, you know nose level for an eight week old Labrador, and then very quickly it becomes oh, okay slightly higher, so it's sort of the coffee table, and now it's sort of kitchen counters all clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, they have strange knock-on effects don't they having a, a puppy yes, or a dog yeah do. definitely they do and that's been really great Jennifer thank you ever so much for that where yes, can people awesome. find out to, more about you online um I have a website which is www.boneballbark.com and then I also have a, an Instagram account at boneballbark um and those are my two sort of main main ways of uh finding finding me Great, great. So there's, there is help there available, isn't there? They, they, if somebody's desperately listening to this going, but what can I do? You know, there is you. There is help for them, isn't there? For sure. And that's why I made that um, 
that course online because I wanted someone to see a real life trainer going through. Um, you know, I started recording when he was eight weeks old when I got got him, and we went all the way up to about five months. And you know, I wanted them to see. Yeah, I'm not sleeping. This is how I'm trying <laughs> different things that I'm trying, but I'm also not yeah. sleeping. Um, this is what I introduced first. This is what worked and not did what didn't. Because um, I think that 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 helps people now to see someone else struggle yeah. or you know that it's normal to struggle even if you're a yes. professional I should have it perfect but I don't <laughs> <laughs> well you've got an advantage over the rest of us but you, you know you know the theory but yeah every dog I would say every dog is a different adventure and sometimes the yeah. trick is to be brave enough to go on that adventure and trust that it will all be it will all be okay yes <laughs> <laughs> they do start biting you eventually with the consistency but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The first, the first four or five years are the worst. Then it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know for Griffin, I'm, I'm like, I, I actually really enjoy this age, to be honest. But there is a part of me that's like, oh, a two, two and a half year old lab. That's that's the sweet spot for me. Yeah. Two and a half years um, <laughs> is when you can sort of relax. I think. Yes, you can relax then, but only after that two and a half years of input. And again, it's important that we acknowledge that puppies are hard work and it's not all cuddles and coziness. In fact, at times, I found having a puppy almost too much because it's so full on, it's so unrelenting. But there are strategies we can implement to make it easier for us and the dog. You can find all the links Jennifer mentioned at dogcastradio.com. And that's all for this time. So until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121 288 from the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315-849-2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 44121-288-0922. You can contact us on Skype with the ident DogCastRadio. That's all one word, DogCastRadio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. Why does nobody want to work for a dog? Because they hound their employees.